Gospel of John, John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 20. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. And as you turn to John 13, I had originally planned to go back to 1 Samuel, uh, and we will, uh, but I decided to look at the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet because I think there's a very uh, important and timely message for us here this morning, especially after we just celebrated Easter uh, last Sunday. Uh, we'll get into that more in a second, but first, can we all just admit for a moment that when we hear Jesus' call to love one another as he has loved us, to love our enemies, to do good even to those who hate us, to pray regularly to give with an open and generous hand uh, when we hear any of the commands that jesus gives in the bible don't we sometimes feel just so inadequate i mean who am i that jesus should not only call on me to do these things but even use my obedience to build the kingdom uh, who here doesn't feel at least sometimes that they're too broken they're too small, they're too weak, they're too frail to be of any use to Jesus. Like, who doesn't feel discouraged sometimes, or, or useless, or even just in the way of the things that Jesus is trying to do? Uh, if that's you, or if it's, if it's been you, then Jesus has a good word for you this morning. Jesus' goal here is to wash these feelings of inadequacy off from you, so that you can know that you are a valuable, valued member of his kingdom who actually can do good things for Jesus and whose good works Jesus actually does use to build his kingdom. And connected to that good word is another one. Jesus is going to show us how important it is that we as a church join him in his cleansing work so that together, together, we can serve Jesus joyfully in his name. Uh, if you wanted to boil down our sermon into one sentence, this is for the note takers, especially for the kids, you could say that by washing the disciples' feet, we learn that Jesus cleanses us so that we can cleanse each other. Jesus cleanses us so that we can cleanse each other. I know this all needs to be unpacked, but I'm hoping you're kind of already looking forward to what will be, I hope, an encouraging word for us this morning. Our points are there on the wall. Uh, let's read our passage, John 13, 1 to 20, pray, and then we'll reflect more on this together. <clears throat> so John 13, starting in the first verse. This is the uh, upper room before Jesus is crucified. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, 
What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are, are all clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should be doing just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. That's Father, reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, has promised us that when we receive him, uh, we receive you as well. And we thank you that he gave this as an example for us, that we should understand and do the kind of cleansing work among each other that he himself has already done for us and does for us continually by the Spirit. Father, we want to understand this work so we can go out and live as disciples who know that we can actually do good things for you. But Father, we know that this will not be possible for us unless your Spirit blesses your word to us. And so therefore we pray that your Spirit now will give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher. May the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word. May it all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, our passage has such a, a, a beautiful beginning, I think. Uh, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, that must be one of the most powerful phrases in the whole Bible. Jesus's love carries on until everything is finished. And in saying that, certainly John means to include all the acts of love that Jesus is going to go on to do, uh, praying for us, suffering for us, dying for us, rising back from the dead on Easter, all the things we just celebrated uh, last Sunday. But while all of that is certainly included, those events, praying, dying, rising, are not in the first instance what made John say, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Rather, John says this because Jesus washed his disciples' feet. So why would that be the thing? Why would that be the thing, right, that makes John say, clearly, 
Jesus loves us and will always love us and will never stop loving us until every single promise is fulfilled. Well, the answer is connected to the Old Testament ceremonial laws. So notice chapter 13 begins by telling us that Jesus washes his disciples' feet before the feast of Passover was to begin. So in the Old Testament, whenever someone was going to celebrate one of God's holidays, whether that was the Passover feast, like is in our passage, or maybe the Feast of Tabernacles, like you've heard about, or even the weekly Sabbath, which was a weekly holiday, that person was required by God to ceremonially wash themselves. Because God knows that we live in a world where we are constantly walking the boundary between sickness and health, wholeness and brokenness, life and death. And God knows that as we walk that boundary, the negative side of that line, sickness, brokenness, and death, those things can feel like they are stuck onto us, reminding us of our own frailty, of our own fallenness, of our own brokenness, of our own inadequacy. We carry these negative things with us as we remember our broken relationships throughout the week and our lost loved ones and our own weakness and our inability to fix these problems. And with those, that remembrance comes guilt and shame, hopelessness, helplessness, and as I've been trying to say, inadequacy, the sense that I'm just not up to the task. I'm not able to live the way God wants me to live in this world. And so as Israel entered these holidays, which were about forgiveness and salvation and joy and renewed service to God and life with him and life with each other and, and hope and, and every good and wonderful and pleasant thing that God has to offer, Jesus knows that if those feelings just went sort of unaddressed in the life of his people, then his people would not be able to receive all the blessings of these holidays that Jesus wanted to give them. He knows instead they would meet his words of hope with skepticism and his words of encouragement with doubts and his words of command with tiredness and fatigue. I mean, think about it. When you feel sad, lonely, sick, tired, lost, and someone comes up and they try to encourage you and you say, hey, there's hope, there's life, and, and you can do this. Your first thought, if you're like me, is nope. No, nope, nope, nope. You, you've got the wrong guy, right? I am not sufficient for these things. I am, I am inadequate for this task. But because Jesus loves his people, he doesn't want them to meet these holidays feeling that way. And so in the Old Testament, he set up a system of ceremonial washing for his old covenant people. And so what would happen is you would go into a bath and you would ceremonially wash your body. And as you did that, you would see, and I'm sure feel, the dust and the dirt move off into the water and float around at the surface. And remember, when thinking about things like death, brokenness, and sickness, the Bible, whose God, God people knew and had memorized, will use dust and dirt to symbolize those things. I mean, think about God's word to Adam in the garden. From dust you are, and to dust you will return, right? And so as you bathe, you see the dust, and you see the dirt in the water. 
And as you see it, you're reminded that God is with you to cleanse you. You're reminded that Jesus heals and that Jesus fixes and that Jesus restores and he rebuilds and he brings life. He brings forgiveness. Jesus brings healing and help and hope and every good and perfect thing. And as you bathe, you remember that these waters are meant to symbolize that you are living with the living God who brings his living waters metaphorically from heaven to you through the gospel and through his word and through forgiveness. And you can then get up out of that bath encouraged that the God of life lives with you. And that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Uh, but what does it have to do with washing the disciples' feet? Well, the reality of life in the ancient world was ancient footwear uh, didn't keep your feet from getting dirty again, especially as you walked on dirt paths from your house to wherever you were celebrating these feast days. Again, whether that's the weekly Sabbath or the Feast of Passover. So the custom of the day was when you arrived at your destination, a servant would rewash your feet. That's why Jesus says in verse 10, the one who has bathed has no need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. <clears throat> now, some of you may have heard that it was uh, also customary for a servant to do uh, to wash your feet whenever you arrived at a wealthy person's home, uh, sort of as a general act of hospitality. That's also true. But that is not the immediate context here. The context is not sort of this general act of hospitality among wealthy people in the ancient world. The immediate context is preparing to celebrate Passover. The context is Jesus loving his disciples to the end. The context is Jesus wanting his people to know that he gives us life and hope and help and peace, that he makes us adequate for service, that he welcomes us into the kingdom of God, and that death and sickness and brokenness are not going to have and will never have the final word for those of us who live with the living God. And so Jesus, verse 4, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, ties it around his waist. Then he pours water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus assumed the posture and even the dress of a house servant so that he can make sure his disciples are prepared for the joy and the hope and the salvation and the service that he is giving them and calling them to. He wants them to enter as completely as possible into this work of life that he is giving so he can assure them that while they are going to walk the boundary of life and death, sickness and health, brokenness and wholeness in this life until he returns and they meet him in the air that because they walk with God their ultimate end is always going to be wholeness and life and health and therefore they are ready and able to serve Jesus because Jesus the living God is with them that's what Jesus is doing but then Peter speaks up like Peter does uh, I think we have a tendency to make, sometimes misinterpret Peter in the Gospels. I think he has a reputation of sort of just saying brash, sometimes stupid things like me. Uh, we can read him kind of as comic relief, I think, occasionally, as somebody who's not like us, someone who we can sort of stand in judgment over and be like, oh, that Peter, he's so silly. 
right? Um, but when we read in that way, I think we really miss something profound about ourselves and how Jesus can meet us in our own emotional life. So here's what I mean. Uh, Peter knows all of the things that we just talked about. So when Peter says to Jesus in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? He isn't only talking about how uncomfortable it makes him to see his master acting like a servant. I mean, he is saying that. That's clearly a part of it. You can see that later on when he tells Jesus he'll never wash his feet. But he's also saying, Jesus, am I really someone who can serve you really? Because I know deep down that I am not up to the tasks that you've set for me. I know deep down that I am not good enough. Jesus, am I really fully cleansable? And are you really and truly committed to making me able to serve you in love and in joy and in hope forever? Now, I know that might seem odd to see Peter this way with this kind of feeling of inadequacy and fear because we're used to seeing him as a sort of brash, brazen guy who'd be like, I will go with you even to death, which is the kind of thing that only a 16-year-old young man would say, and that's probably the age that Peter was at this point, 16-year-old, full of testosterone and bravado. Uh, but we all know that bravado is usually a front, as any 16-year-old boy will tell you, for feeling inadequate. I act big because I feel small. I brag because I feel in it. And I think we, we see Peter's own feeling of inadequacy coming out here. I think we see something of our own emotional life reflected in Peter. And I think Jesus sees this fear in Peter because he tells him in verse 8, I think very gently, not as a rebuke, sort of just as a statement of fact, uh, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Or more literally, if I do not wash you, you have no inheritance with me which in John's gospel means life with Jesus. Peter, if I don't wash you, we can't live together. So Peter, if I don't serve you, if I don't cleanse you from the dirt that still clings, then, then we can't live together at all. In other words, Peter, if I am not willing to make sure that every part of you is cleansed, then we could not be friends in this life or the next and that's why Peter says in verse 9, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, right? Okay, Jesus, if we can't be BFFs unless you wash me, then wash every part of me again just to make sure that I did it all right. And then Jesus assures Peter and all the disciples except for Judas at the end of verse 10. He says, you are all clean. So not every one of you, not Judas. I mean, Judas is not clean, very tragic. But Peter and the other disciples, they are. You see, Jesus has gone out of his way to show his disciples how committed he is to making them able to live with him and to love him and to serve him. Right? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that love means cleansing them from guilt and shame and fear and inadequacy and brokenness so that they can know that they are, in fact, loved by God. And so live as those who know that Jesus wants them to be his friends and in fact makes that friendship possible and is committed to making that friendship possible. And in so doing makes service to him, living for him in a way that makes Jesus happy possible. 
We can be Jesus' effective servants because Jesus makes us his friends. That's what Jesus is saying to you and to us. Speaking of servants, it's important for us to notice two more things about this passage before we move on to our final point. The first is notice that Jesus tells Peter in verse 7, what I am doing now you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Uh, the question, of course, is after what? After he's done washing their feet or after something else? And I think Jesus means after something else. I think he's saying, Peter, after I've risen from the dead, you'll understand what this act truly means for you and for your life as my disciple. And I think that because in John's gospel, most of the time, if not all the time, when Jesus says that people will understand something later, he means after he's risen from the dead. And so I think we need to take Jesus at his word here. I think we need to understand that while Peter understood you know, some of what was going on, he did not and could not fully grasp the significance of what Jesus is really doing for his life uh, onward until after Jesus rose from the dead. Now let's take that idea that Peter's not going to understand this fully until Jesus raises. And let's connect that to what Jesus goes on to say. He says three things, just sort of very broadly. First, he says that if he, our master, is among us as a servant, then we also should be servants of one another. Right? If Jesus serves us, we serve each other. That's the first thing. The second thing Jesus says is in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know what things? Well, clearly the idea of being a servant, but also I think the whole point of knowing what Jesus was doing when he was washing his disciples' feet, making us clean and whole and adequate and hopeful so we can live with each other and serve with each other and love Jesus together as his friends, right? Blessed are you if you do these things, the things that you will understand later after I've risen from the dead. And then the third and final thing he says is in verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, receives the one that I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. So he ends this, se this section by saying, when we go out as Jesus' servants, when Jesus sends us out as his servants, we bring Jesus with us. And when we are received, Jesus and the Father are received too. So putting this all together, I think we can say this. Jesus uses his act of foot washing as a way to talk about mission. A mission that Peter would not understand at the time, but would after Jesus was raised. A mission about serving those whom Jesus has called, a mission that is blessed if we do it, blessed because we get to bring Jesus with us. It's a mission that involves being sent by Jesus to each other and then receiving each other and in so doing, receiving Jesus and the Father from each other. And what are Jesus and the Father doing for us? They're cleansing us. They're giving us life. They're giving us hope. They're giving us the assurance that we are welcome, that we are loved, that we are valued, that we are valuable, that we are useful members in the kingdom of God because we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb and we are new creations. The old is gone. 
and the new has come. And so I point all that out so I can say these two things. The first is, Jesus wants you to know that you are adequate to serve him through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through his presence in your life by the Holy Spirit through faith. Jesus makes you adequate and useful, and he continues to make you adequate and useful. You can do things that make Jesus happy. You can serve the Savior and know that he delights in your service. If I can riff on the imagery a little bit, Jesus knows uh, that though we are cleansed by his blood, that we still walk in a world of sickness, brokenness, and death. A world where that's still going to cling to us in some way. And with it, all the, the hopelessness and the helplessness that we talked about earlier. And he knows that we will need to be washed of those feelings again and again so we can have hope and health and life and assurance in, renewed and so we can serve our Savior and know that it's not paltry and awful in his sight, but it's real and life-giving and blessed and delightsome. And Jesus, who loves us, will love us to the end. He will continue to cleanse us from these things and renew that cleansing in our life. And that leads me to the second thing, which is, here we see Jesus extend this task of cleansing to his people. So that after he ascends from heaven, or ascends into heaven, Jesus being no longer able to physically do these things for us because he's in heaven, sends us, empowered as we are by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says at the end that he sends us to each other to give this blessing to each other. And he blesses us as he calls us to serve one another as he himself has served us. Beloved, we are called to help each other know that Jesus has equipped us and made us adequate and capable of serving him. So what does this look like? How do we join Jesus in assuring each other that we are cleansed and called and equipped for the service to our, our Lord and his kingdom? Uh, here we're on our third point. I'll just mention two things very briefly. The first thing is this. We do this by showing sacrificial hospitality. Uh, we saw this as we looked at the beginning of Acts last year. Remember, washing someone's feet was something you did when they arrived at your house. So the context is being welcomed into the home of a fellow saint and assured that together we are able to love and serve Jesus. That must be one of the reasons Jesus uh, took this particular opportunity to wash his disciples' feet, not earlier on at some other point in his ministry. And it's also why John must see this as the reason why Jesus loves them to the end. Beloved, in Jesus' name, we need to welcome each other into our lives, even though it might make us uncomfortable sometimes, and invite each other into our own service for Jesus so that everyone can hear, here can know that they are not unfit to serve Christ. Right? Everyone here needs to feel welcomed into our ministry of service, and sacrificial hospitality is an important way to do that, where we tell each other, Come join in this life that I have and we have with God. Come into my house, come into my ministry, come into my service. Let's serve Jesus together because this is not beyond you, above you, better than you. You can do this and we can do this together. Oh, but I'm not good enough, someone might say. 
And then we say in our second act of metaphorical foot washing, beloved, if Jesus has cleansed you, you are. If Jesus has cleaned you, you're clean. If Jesus has saved you, the old is gone, the new has come. He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, as we said in our response to the assurance of faith. We get to actually respond with Christ's own words, not, oh, maybe you're right. You respond with, no, you can. Because Jesus is with you. Because he loves you. He's made you. He's equipped you to do every good work for his kingdom. And I get to be privileged to tell you this good news. I get to tell you that you are worthy and able because like me, Jesus has made you worthy and able. And Jesus wants me to tell you this because the Bible tells me he wants you to tell me that. He wants me to tell you this, that you are loved by Christ and you can serve him well. So we do this by sacrificial hospitality and by telling each other the things that Jesus has told us in the word. You are new, you are cleansed, you are able, you are capable because Jesus is with you. My friends, as spring arrives and as we start looking forward to kind of our summer outreach ministries and all of our travel we're going to do and hopefully uh, growth and new birth, spiritual birth, not just physical birth, those two, uh, but spiritual birth as a church, beloved, we need to be washing each other's feet. We need to be encouraging each other that Jesus makes us adequate to serve him together. We need to show each other the cleansing presence of Christ so that through each other, we can receive the presence of Jesus who goes with us wherever we go so that people can know his love through us and we can be blessed by Christ. Uh, so that we can know that the love of Jesus will carry on forever and ever until all things have been accomplished. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you understand how sickness, death, and brokenness affect us. I thank you that you are aware that their effects cling to us and make us feel like we are not able to serve you well. And thank you that you meet those feelings with your cleansing grace, which assures us that uh, these things are not the last word about us, nor are they the most fundamental thing about our lives. No, Father, the most fundamental truth for us as your people is that we are alive in Jesus. We are equipped by a spirit. We are loved to the end. We are new creations because of your grace. And we are blessed to have you go with us as we bring the gospel to each other. So, Father, please help us to join our Lord in bringing these cleansing words into each other's lives so that together we can live with confidence that we can effectively serve you together because you are with us and you will bless us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.